Wonderful. Gee, good morning all. Good morning all on, online. It's good to see you all. You guys good? Yeah? Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, please. So, we've been in the book of Acts for the last two weeks, and, um, and we're in a series with Acts, I'm calling it Acts and Origins. You know, often we read the book of Acts, and we see what happened there, and we look and we long for it, and, uh, and we see smatterings of the similar things throughout uh, church history. And so it's just a book that I frequently go to to read. A uh, preacher once said it's like a tonic. You drink it, it just is, is, it reminds us of the origin of the church. And unfortunately, um, it's, it's something that at times people have taken out of context, and they say these things don't happen today when they do. And, uh, but we, as human beings, I don't know what it is, we like to, it's like I said last week, we have a broken telephone sometimes in history. You know, we hear a truth, or like, you know, when you play that as a child telephone, and then it just goes down, it comes out as something different. And so I go here, and I try put myself on the ground as if I was them, and say, what did they understand when this was said? What did they, what did they take that as? And I've been doing that just for the last two weeks with us together. Obviously, I cannot go through every verse and every word. I would like to. That's just the way I'm wired. That's the way I read it. Um, but just to give a general understanding of what did they understand? What did it mean for them? And it's good for us to go back to the beginning, to the origins of something. Yeah? So, we've looked at a little bit of what they would have understood, the disciples, what they would have understood when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. It was the birth of the church. And let me say, we, there's many fillings of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, which we'll talk about today, but there was one Pentecost. <laughs> and to, already I'm stepping on toes. I'm going to do that a lot today, just so you know. One Pentecost, because the Holy Spirit came to earth to birth the church. He doesn't keep doing that. He's still here. Hello? So this was the origin, the birth of the bride of Christ, the birth of the church. And you see at the outset of, of the covenant that God made with Moses, which was the law, Christ fulfilled the law, and you see many similarities. When, when Christ fulfilled the law, He died, He rose again, and when the church was birthed, for example, when the law was birthed on the Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died. The new covenant in Christ's blood, 3,000 people got saved. And you see there's many. I've got a whole list. Maybe I'll go through it with you one day. But you see redemption over and over and over. It's the grace of God because Jesus lived the perfect life and we get His righteousness placed on us. That's called good news. Yeah? Wonderful. So, a little bit of what they would have understood. I cannot recap everything. Um, but they understood the way… Oh, I'm so sorry. I did it again. Babe, can you pass my water? People say I do this every week. Maybe you should start saying it. I don't do it, and then I won't do it. I don't know. They believed. They saw. There were only two prerequisites for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, and we sometimes have a whole list, but there was only two, and that was that Jesus had to leave and that they had to wait in Jerusalem. That's it. And so they did that, and they waited in Jerusalem. It's the way they understood it. They received 
the Holy Spirit upon them, the same Spirit that came upon Jesus, the Spirit of God, for His ministry. And they believed they had the same Holy Spirit as Jesus. They were not wrong. And I wish I could go over that again. I could preach that every, every single week. They believed that Jesus, in His life, they walked with Him. They saw Him have, a, in a sense, a birthday. They saw His humanity. And they knew, because He said it, that in His life, as for ministry, He operated as a man filled by the Holy Spirit. And so they knew He was a man, in a sense, He was fully God, fully man. I covered this last week. But in ministry, He was a man in rightly related to God and anointed by the Spirit of God. And so they believed when, when we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon us, we are people rightly related to God because of what He did, not because of what I did. And so when I receive the Spirit, we will be people rightly related to God and anointed by the Holy Spirit. So that's how they saw it. They were correct. Um, they also realized, as we covered last week, that this gave them access to God. Now, as Jewish people, I don't think we can quite appreciate what that meant for them. They grew up with the veil. They grew up with the temple. No one could go in there. And they were taught that that temple was, that, that veil was ripped open and they have access to God Himself, to Yahweh, to El Shaddai. And they could access Him. They could go stand in His presence because now they were righteous. God sees them through the eyes of His Son. And their whole world was turned upside down. Their entire world was turned upside down. Then, so Acts chapter 2, um, the Spirit of God comes in power and there's a sound. And in my heart, what I wanted to do today was actually teach on Pentecost. But the Lord put something else in my heart today, so we're not going to do that. But to teach on the word Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. That's all it means means 50. And it was actually to us, we think Pentecost filled with the Spirit. To them in those days, it was a Jewish feast, the Feast of Pentecost, which happened seven weeks after the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it had to do with Jubilee. The day of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, which I would love to go into. But Jesus is our spiritual Jubilee, which I will teach on one day. And what that means, He is our spiritual jubilee because everything that happens now in this covenant comes from a place of rest. The 50th year, every 50th year, they would do no work the whole year. They weren't allowed, allowed to plant or sow crops. And that's, see, I'm starting to preach on it. I mustn't. But everything that happens in the New Testament, Jesus sat down. He finished His work and He sat down and He pours out the Spirit from a place of being at rest. And everything that happens is from a place of rest, not, pla not from a place of striving. Everything in the New Testament is like that. So that happens, and the Spirit of God comes, and they stand up, and they start to speak in different languages. And there was a sound from heaven that drew thousands of people. The Bible says this. It says they came because they heard the sound. You know, when the Spirit of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee came, they would blow a trumpet, and it sounded, they said, like the storm and the wind of a tempest. Think about that there was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. Similar. So this happens. They stand up and they don't preach the gospel. They speak the wondrous works of God in multiple languages that they've never spoken. There's different responses. Some people didn't understand the languages. So they said they're drunk. Other people understood and they were amazed and they marveled. Then Peter stands up in Acts 2 verse 14 and he starts to speak. 
and he starts to explain. And this is what we preached last week. He said, what is this that's happening? And I'll just outline it for you again. It may come up behind me. In not so many words, he said, Jesus is the Messiah who was to come. Jesus functioned as a man, Acts 2.22, with full reliance upon the Holy Spirit in his ministry. And also in death, Jesus did not defeat death with his divinity, but as a man, he was in his sinlessness, and his victory over death comes from that. Then he said, Jesus rose from the dead, is alive right now. Jesus has poured upon us the same Holy Spirit he had upon him, and Jesus has ascended right now into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That was Peter's first sermon, and that was the, the, the beginning of the apostles' doctrine, which is now the New Testament. So, then, so this is Pentecost. They go home, now they're starting to have discussions with their family. And again, we went over this last week. Pentecost changed everything, everything. From the moment they woke up to the moment they went to sleep, everything was dictated by the law, what they wore, what they ate, how they thought. That's all over now. <laughs> And you think, you know, sometimes, even when a church grows, people struggle. Why? Well, it's new. It's change. When we have to move, people are like, oh, it's change. I don't like change. Their whole world was turned upside down, and they were able to remain unified. Amazing. Their whole world. Pentecost changed their worship. No more sacrificial system. No more Jewish feasts. No more special holy days. No more earthly mediators, no more veil. Changed, Pentecost changed their community. was the great equalizer, nationality, age, race, status, great equalizer. And Pentecost changed their homes. Even the roles in a family, even the roles in a home were changed at Pentecost. And most of important, Pentecost changed their hearts. It became the individual that God loves me. The fire rested upon them individually, not just upon a nation. God loves me. God sees me. God knows my heart. Everything changed. Amen? Amen. So, all right. Now, today, I want to explain one verse. We're going to read probably more Scripture than we've read in a while. And people's like, my goodness, this guy reads a lot of Scripture all the time. So, yeah, that means we're in for some reading. But I want to explain this verse. Acts 5 you can go, from, go to Acts 5, please, and go to verse 30. Actually, go to verse 29. Um, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men, the God of our fathers. Now, this is Peter, and Peter speaking to the Jewish uh, authorities. The God of our father raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Hmm. Interesting verse. The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So I looked up that word obey. You know what it means? It means obey. <laughs> it was profound. And so now we're not necessarily talking there about salvation. You know you cannot earn salvation? It's a gift of God. So what's that? I want to explain that today. 
I want to explain that today. And it's talking about a spirit-filled life, being spirit-filled. Today, we have terms. So today, can, we, can you begin to stick out our toes today and begin to stand on them? Yeah? And we're going we're to break our boxes. We're going to break some mindsets that we have. Because as humans, we like to, as people, we like to take something that is spiritual, make it linear, make it methodical, make it a method, and make it a pattern and a structure so that we can control, but it's of the Spirit. The whole New Testament life is of the Spirit. And it doesn't always follow this exact plan and this exact pattern. The whole New Testament life. So we have terms today like being Spirit-filled, and some people have something in their head when you say Spirit-filled or baptism of the Spirit. People have something in their mind, even gifts of the Spirit. So I say the word or the phrase Spirit-filled, and some people think, well, that's gifts and that's, I don't know, maybe a way someone will pray or maybe that's got to do with tongues, and we have these things in our mind. But what if I was Theophilus in the book of Acts? Dear Theophilus, that's who Luke, Dr. Luke wrote this book to. If I was him, and I'm reading this letter from Luke, what would I think that term meant by what I read here? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. So we are going to look as if we were him. We are going to look as if we were that man reading. What is this term, spirit-filled? Because you don't see that in the Old Testament. Is that good? Zechariah 4.6, many of us know it's a famous verse. If I had to ask you to name one verse out of Zechariah, you'll name this one. You may not know any others. Not by might, nor by power. That's military power. Not by might. That's the strength of a human arm. What I can do by myself, then military power. But by my spirit. Everything in the New Testament life is of the Spirit of God. Everything. Everything. So everything was pointing to Christ the Messiah, and the Spirit of God will come and live inside you and also rest upon you, and those are different. But everything is by the Spirit. Everything. So, what does the Bible mean when it talks about being Spirit filled? Well, let's go. I'm going to throw up some scriptures behind me. I'm just going to read them very quickly. And this is, except for two, and the other two are the same principle. They're the same. I'm just trying to save time. Acts 2.4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak. Then Peter, Acts 4.8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and they? The Word of God with boldness. Acts 19, verse 17 to 20, and Ananias the man who prayed for Paul, and scales fell from his eyes. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is every single time you see in the book of Acts that phrase is used. I said I've missed two, but most of them, but the other two are the same. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight, and at once he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, obviously in the natural. Then Saul spent some days there, and immediately he preached in the synagogues. Acts 13, then Saul, who was called Paul, 
Just by the way, that Saul, Saul's name was never changed to Paul. People think like that, like it was with Peter. It just is a Greek version of his Hebrew name, just for those scholars. Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, there's that word, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Acts 13, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue and so spoke. Hmm. If I was reading this letter, which we do, and I read that phrase filled with the Holy Spirit, one Pentecost, Holy Spirit coming to earth, he spoke about it in the days of Ezekiel when he left the temple because they were trying to control God. So the Holy Spirit left the temple. He said, when I come back, I'm coming for your heart. That's what he said. And he comes back in Acts chapter 2 and he bursts onto the scene and it says they were pierced to the heart, individuals. And then this term filled with the Spirit and we have what we think that means. Some of it's shaking or some of it's an experience and it can be those things. But biblically, it had to do with speaking. Every time you see they were filled with the Spirit, it says they were filled with the Spirit and they said something. It had to do with the testifying and the preaching of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we must all be preachers. I'm just saying what, what this says. So, in every case, it has to do with speaking. How about Ephesians 5? Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know when you read something in the Word and it, it, it's adjusting you and you don't like it? Yeah, that's happening now for some of us. It doesn't limit it. I'm not limiting anything. I'm putting us here on the ground as if we were there <laughs> and what it meant for them. They were empowered to speak as individuals, as untrained fishermen, as they were not orators, they were not Pharisees, they were not scribes, and they were not, said, they were not of the Sanhedrin, but they were empowered by God to speak. So, let's go back to John once again. In John, the book of John, the last, in 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, I encourage you, if you ever read the book of Acts, especially the first eight chapters, first go read those chapters in John. It's the last teaching he gives them, then he leaves. Every, uh, the first part of Acts is colored by, Act, uh, by John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. We have to understand what they heard just before this happened. And this was that last teaching he gives them. So John 13, we see that. So you go to John 14, verse 16 to 17. It says, and I will pray the Father, Jesus teaching his disciples, I will pray the Father, this is before he goes to the cross, and he will give you another helper. Now we read this last week, another helper. That means another of the same sort. And I know I'm covering some ground again, but we have to understand that to them, that meant the Holy Spirit will be to you, disciples, who I've been to you. He will be, I've been guiding you, he will guide you. I've been giving you power and authority, he will give you power. He will be everything to you, I've been to you. So get to know him. 
he, will give, he said, I will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. This is an indwelling. He may live with you. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then he speaks about the Father and the Son coming to make a home with him, coming to make a home with us in the New Testament. Once he died and came back, he said, this will happen. Now, what is he speaking about here? Well, in John chapter 20, I'll just paraphrase. In John 20, he is risen from the dead. He comes back and he appears, boom, in a room. Now, imagine that. It's interesting. All the doors are closed. He walks in while he appears. And he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about in John 14. The Spirit of God coming to live and abide forever, being saved, being made new, being made born again. I've been, I've been changed. My heart is new. My nature is new. I feel different. I, something has changed inside of me. The old nature's been dead. I love Jesus all of a sudden. Things we can't do. And he says, I've kind of come make a home inside of you. Now, what were they doing just before that happened in John 20? What was the last thing they did? They all betrayed him. They all ran away, except for John. They ran away from the cross, and they left. And then he appears. He breathes on them. gives them a new nature. Why? My dad read it this morning, Ephesians 2. It's a lot like us. Jesus arrives in a sense, reveals himself to us while we are still in our sin. While we are still dead in trespasses, he just comes and we receive a, if we obviously choose and we say yes, we receive a new nature. It's not by anything we've done. He just appears on the scene. He reveals himself to you and gives you a new heart. And you're born again, you're changed, you're saved. He puts actually a strength and a power in you to overcome things you couldn't overcome before. Some things he takes away from you immediately, just sets you free. Other things he puts a power in you to overcome. And that's what he's talking about here in John 14. He's simply, it's a lot like it is with us. And when we make mistakes, and of course we do, we run toward the Father. We don't have to run away from it. But then Acts 1-4 comes. And he says, wait in Jerusalem and you will receive the promise of my Father. And he talks about a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he says something in Acts 1.4 and in Acts 1.8 that he never said in all the farewell discourse. He said, you will receive power, supernatural power, when he that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let's read it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. That word witnesses, it is actually the word martyr in the Greek. But he said you will be witnesses. What it means is an eyewitness. You will stand up and begin to testify of everything that you've witnessed. So, I know we've, this is going to take some time, but you, we all have grace, right? Wonderful. If you go to John back now, to John 15, and if you go to verse 18, he says this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through this chapter and a little bit of the next one, just to make a point. John 15, start at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, 
the world would love its own, yet you are not of the world. So he speaks about that. Go to verse 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And they did. He did nothing, but they hated him. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit once he's with the Father. Not the Holy Spirit, I'm going to come and breathe into you and give to you and dwell with you forever. No. When I leave, I'm going to send someone. Are you with me? Okay. Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify. Interesting. Witness. He will be witness. He will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. From the beginning. John 16, verse 1, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God a service. You say, like, Clay, this is not so nice. Let's go back to last week with all the nice things. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I, in other words, if I leave, Jesus speaking, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So he's not speaking about what happened in John 20 because he hadn't gone away yet. And that's when they became born again. And he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, which he did, I will send him to you. And when he has come to the earth in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, birthing the church, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Then he says in verse 12, I still have many things to say, but you can't bear them yet. Why? Because they weren't saved yet. They weren't regenerated yet in the spirit. They weren't, their hearts weren't made new. The Bible says, therefore, they couldn't understand spiritual things. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into truth. But he will not speak on his own authority. He will take of what is mine, and he will make it known to you. So, when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, this is what he said. He didn't say Acts 2, hello, because it hadn't been written. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be a witness, an eyewitness, and you will be empowered to speak. And when you do so, at times they will hate you without a cause. At times they will put you out of the religious system. <laughs> that happens a lot still today. The religious spirit doesn't like the things of the Holy Spirit. At times they will put you out of the system. They will put you out of the religious system. Sometimes they'll kill you. Also at times when you speak and testify, the Spirit of God will so convict people and so change their hearts and change their lives, they will be made new. Also at times it will convict them of sin and of righteousness. Sin is the fact that they need a new heart. They need a new nature. He will convict them of that. They will know their state. He will convict them of righteousness, that only my righteousness, not self-righteousness. He will convict them of judgment, that the, the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, he will teach them the authority that they have because the devil's defeated. He will convict them. <laughs> he will also tell you what's to come. People say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means the future. It just means what it means. He will tell you things that haven't yet happened. 
This is about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I depart, I will send him. And these are the things that will happen. Then, so now go back to Acts chapter 3. We're all very excited to go back to Acts chapter 3. Yeah, we are. So what happens? The Spirit of God comes. He said, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but first I have to go. This is not just being born again, even though that's not a just. That's still the greatest miracle, a new heart. Genuinely, a new heart, a new nature. (laughs) It's amazing. But the Spirit of God comes in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up. We went through it. He begins to preach and explains. Then Acts chapter 3. I'm just going to go through these chapters. They're going up at the hour of prayer. Hello, New Testament. At the hour of prayer. So they had scheduled times to pray. That's helpful to know. So they go up at the hour of prayer, like that baby's praying. And in the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the day, they go up and on their way they see a man begging and that man gets miraculously healed. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give unto you. Then the people gather because of what's just happened. And Peter recognizes, oh, there's people gathering. There's a crowd. So in verse 12 he says, When Peter saw it, he responded to the people. He starts to preach again, and he starts to preach. And he says, repent, therefore, and be converted, be saved, be born again. He says that in verse 19, that your sins may be blotted out. Do you know that converted? you know what that word means? A revolution. He said, repent, and there will be a coup, like a government coup. There will be a coup in your heart. The authority will be overthrown, and I will come to sit on the throne of your heart. It's a revolution will take place inside, and I will become king inside of you. Then, Acts chapter 4, they get arrested. Why? Because of what just happened. So they get thrown in custody, which is like a nice, gentle jail. So you know those westerns where you sit in the single jail cell, but the sheriff's right there? It's that. They get thrown into custody, all right? Then go to verse 5, Acts 4, 5. It came to pass the next day. They're in custody. The rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they took these people out of custody, set them in the midst of these rulers. They asked, by what power or by what name have you done this, healed this man? By what power or by what name? Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the second time mentioned in Acts. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he was, had been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he's not running anymore, yeah? whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation, hear this, nor is there salvation in any other. That's what the world's offended by. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived they were uneducated men. Why did they perceive they were uneducated? 
wasn't because of the power and authority of which they spoke. That surpassed anything they'd seen. Maybe they didn't use the right address. Maybe they didn't use the right titles. Maybe because of their clothes. We don't know. But they didn't look anything like these highly educated people. And he says, uneducated and untrained, but they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus, that wonderful accusation. They had been with him. Now, to them, it meant physically. To us, it's true in the secret place. <laughs> that's not gifting, anoint, that's you know him. You've walked with him. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with him, they could say nothing. <laughs> How many of you know a fresh testimony does a lot? When you have someone standing next to you, the whole city knows was paralyzed. Now what? Because power, powers, true power, always demands a, a choice. Choice has to be made. Look what happened. So here's Peter. Think of this, a fisherman. Now we're talking about being filled, uneducated, untrained. And here's this, the highest, most qualified, educated people in the world at the given time about the Scripture in all their pomp and ceremony. They knew the Word of God by heart, by heart, the whole thing. But there was one caveat. He was filled with the Spirit. They were not. And he stands up and he begins to preach. And it says they could say nothing. Then, sorry, they call them and they command them, do not speak in this name and do not teach in this name. That's what they command him. In Acts 4.20, he says, I cannot but speak of the things which I've seen and heard. I cannot. Actually, I'm going to read it to you. When they further threat, uh, when Peter and John, they answered and said, with, sorry, verse 18, they called him and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. That means the authority. When you place the name on the signet ring, the authority that you have. And he says, I cannot but speak Sorry, 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and that we had heard. So they further threatened them and let them go. Being let go, they went, they prayed with their friends, with the other disciples. And where they prayed, the building was shaken. That's what it says. It says the building was shaken. And guess what happened? They were all filled with the Spirit again. And they asked for boldness, which means what? They were afraid sometimes when they were doing these things. So they said, Lord, we need boldness. So the place was shaken. Then amazing things happen. Next chapter. Then, go to verse Acts 5.12. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of them dared join them. That's the other people. But they, the people, the crowd, the people outside, the world, esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. By this time, the crowd, that had grown to 5,000, and now it says they couldn't count it. Multitudes at a time of people getting saved. So that they brought the sick into the streets, and they laid them on beds and couches, that at least a shadow of Peter might fall on them on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, that's demons, and they were all healed, all. 
So, what happens? They do that. That's the response. Don't do it. Stop. That happens. So now they get arrested again. And they get thrown in the common prison. That's not custody. This is like with the bad guys. They get thrown in there. Then they, get, they tell the, the, the officers, go get them. We need to speak to them. The officers go get them. They're not there. Because an angel says, an angel let them out and said, go stand in the temple square and teach people all about this new life. So they do that, right? Then the captain went with the officers, verse 26, and brought them without violence for they were afraid of being stoned by the people, the officers. Then, go to this, then we'll end this long thing that we're trying to do. Go to verse 26. Acts 5, actually go to verse 28. So they get them, they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Another wonderful accusation. And intend to bring this man's blood, this man's blood being the blood of Jesus Christ. They thought they, was, they were trying to charge him with Jesus' murder, like in a human court. Shows you how unspiritually aware they were. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. They said, listen, we told you. We're not going to stop speaking. You may not have believed us, but our answer hasn't changed. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses. This is the verse we're explaining today. We are His witnesses for these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. Hmm. What is Peter saying? He's saying, I'm going to read you this because it'll be easier. God gives the Holy Spirit for salvation, he says, in a sense, to all who believe. He will arrive, he makes himself known to you. It's a gift. By grace you are saved. He appeared to us in a room after he rose from the dead with closed doors when we had betrayed him and ran away. And he revealed himself to us, he breathed on us, and something changed inside of us. And we were made new, new hearts, new creation in Christ. Spiritually, all of a sudden, we understood what he had taught us. That's what it says happened in Luke 24. But then, when the Messiah ascended, when Jesus, Jesus ascended, he told us to go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, and he will send upon us a fresh baptism, and we will be empowered to be a witness, to be an eyewitness of everything that has happened and everything that we have heard. Which is why I'm saying to you, I cannot but speak of the things which I have seen and which I have heard. He told us that sometimes it would be call, cause us to be put in front of rulers and those in authority like you. But not to worry that the Holy Spirit will tell us what to say. He told us that at times they will put us out of the synagogues like you did. He told us that at times they will want to harm or hurt us, and they will even think they are offering God a service, which is what you are now doing. But I, here I stand, but I cannot stop speaking about what Jesus has done 
And I will continue to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is given in this way to those who obey Him. This is not what happened in the room. This way, they had just had a meeting where cities had come. This is why they were arrested. He said, you remember why you arrested us? Cities were coming. And they were all healed. The Holy Spirit is given that way to those who obey Him. And I'm no longer afraid of you. In fact, I love you. Now, if I was reading the book of Acts, that's what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. It wasn't just a shake or our little tongues. It was not that. It was empowered from on high. And a boldness. And doesn't mean that everyone has to run around preaching in the streets. It says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in Psalms. Speaking to each other too. Speaking about Jesus Christ. And if you kill me, you kill me. If you throw me in prison, you throw me. You notice, actually, what do I do with this? I know it's time. I'm just going to read these however many points there are. Practically, what do we do? Clayton, what do I do with this? You're like, that's great. But now what? This is what it meant here to be filled with the Spirit of God. Firstly, I would say break the boxes. They had to. They had to break more boxes than you and I could ever fathom. They had to change more structures and boxes and systems than we could ever imagine. That we, I would say to you, encourage you, break the boxes. It doesn't always follow the same pattern. And I can go through all, Acts 2, all of it. How sometimes they obeyed first, then they were filled. Sometimes they were baptized in water first. Then they were, sometimes they were filled with the Spirit, then, then baptized in water. So it's just all over the place. Just trust God. Just break the boxes and walk with Him. It's not, we like to make doctrines and systems and structures. He's not an institution. He's a person. You take that and you put that mindset into your marriage, it won't go well. Well, we are the bride of Christ. Secondly, learn to partner with the Holy Spirit. Just practical. It's not, when he says obey, it doesn't mean obey everything in the Bible all the time, all at once. No, that's the law. They were just moving away from the law. It means when he alerts you to something, listen. It means when you're in the quiet place or when something happens and there's an, a choice all of a sudden and, and conviction comes inside, your conscience begins to speak. Listen to it. <laughs> respond. It means when you get revelation in Scripture, respond to it. Partner with Him. Sometimes it's the smallest little thing. We think, well, I'm not this great. It's the smallest little thing but it could change your child's life. Respond to it. It could change your partner. It could change you. A little revelation every day. Respond to it. That's walking in the Spirit. Keep short accounts with Him. Respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction. You know the Bible speaks about a defiled conscience, a hardened conscience. 
and a good conscience and a pure conscience. When the blood of Jesus will cleanse your conscience, as Hebrews, listen to it inside of you. You know it's Him. Listen to that. It'll save you. It'll help you. Obedience is not correction. That's a child that thinks like that. Obedience is exciting because it means we've heard Him. Thirdly, tell others what you've seen and heard. You don't have to preach to crowds. Tell them what you've seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? Most of you have seen, seen and heard more than you could fathom if you just think about it. And don't be ashamed of it when the time comes. You don't have to know all the doctor. Build a relationship with him. When the moment comes and you're standing in front of someone, he will tell you what to say. Trust him. Tell him your testimony. Well, this is what God changed me. Tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've heard. Look for opportunities, not results. Oh, it's a big one. I wish I could spend a whole day on that. You know, they didn't look for results. Why? Jesus told them not to. Jesus said, sometimes they'll hate you. Sometimes they'll want to kill you. Sometimes they'll get saved. The Western performance mindset, I had a good meeting because five people got saved. I had a less of a good meeting because three people. It's ridiculous. Jesus said, don't look at results. You will do the same things. Focus on the truth. Focus on speaking truth. Focus on doing what I tell you to do. What happens is not up to you. That's what they did here. Look for opportunities. You notice in the book of Acts, the first eight chapters, almost every single time something bad happened, they got to preach. Think about that. Something terrible happened, and they're like, I'm probably going to get to preach soon. (laughs) And then they were preaching to people in seats of power. And Jesus said to them in Mark 16, you will lay hands on the sick and recover. And that's to us. He says, for those who believe, that's us. We'll lay hands on the sick. They will cast out demons. They will, and it says they will pick up serpents. And they will drink poison, if anything. And we have these crazy people that actually think that that was literal. It means in the, in the Greek that you will, uh, you will drink poison. It means of the nature. That word means anything deadly. It's not actually poison. It means deadly. And in the, in the vines, in the Greek, it means of the nature of death. And it says poisonous snakes. It's in Psalms. It's the poison of asps. It's a reputational attack. He said, if you want this type of life, people will come at you and they will lie about you like they did Stephen the martyr and they will falsely accuse you and they will treat you from their old nature, the nature of death. So they knew that. And then fifthly, the greatest sermon ever preached was by Jesus' mother. It was one sentence, turning the water into wine. She said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, just do it. Why? The Holy Spirit does not look for gold vessels, Catherine Coleman said, or silver vessels, but a yielded vessel. A yielded vessel. I will yield to you, Lord. I will yield. It's not obedience because you're going to punish. No, that's grace. It's obedience. Why? Because I trust you and you have my best at hand. The Holy Spirit will best fill a vessel that looks like Jesus. What did Jesus say? I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
The Holy Spirit Himself operates that way. Jesus said it in John 16. He will not speak on His own authority. So He comes to rest upon a person with power that where they go, things change. But He looks for those. If He is operating under authority and doesn't speak on His own authority, He won't always speak through people that will change it to them. That's enough. That's enough. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Our oh, friends, if we saw it. Jesus paid a price for you to receive him like this way. He really did. He really did. I wonder if we could stand. Can we sing? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He is so good to me. One more time. Spirit, we submit our hearts to you, and I pray for these wonderful people and those watching, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon them in these coming days, that you would teach us to partner with you, that you would teach us to walk with you, and to love you. I bless you, Lord, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.